Hey, um, yeah, so blessed to speak to you as well tonight um, for my final service. I'm going to speak to you guys about the book of Daniel. We're looking at Daniel chapter 4. I absolutely love Daniel. I love it so much. I've been studying it for about two years now, I think. I've been studying it like slowly, just verse by verse, just going through and just um, letting the Holy Spirit speak to me and just reveal just so much. There's such a, such a depth um, of understanding to be had in this book. And Daniel 4 is a bit of an unusual one. Often people kind of stick out in Daniel 1 to 3, which are the cool, fun, exciting stories about Daniel going into the, um, into the furnace or the three, other, sorry, the three others going to the furnace and Daniel going to the lion's den and all these fun, exciting sort of stories. But Daniel 4 often gets neglected. In fact, I don't think I've ever heard anyone get up the front and speak about Daniel 4 and King Nebuchadnezzar. So I'd just love to speak to you guys about that tonight, not purely for the fact that it's unusual, um, but it's actually really um, hit home for me, and it's really, I don't know, just brings my heart alive just to, to hear this story um, of this King Nebuchadnezzar and his transformation. So if you do read Daniel chapter 1 to 3, you probably get a bit of a bad rap, or hear a bit of a bad rap um, given about King Nebuchadnezzar. He's not um, generally depicted as the kindest sort of king in the first three chapters of Daniel. He's doing a He's doing a lot of um, dodgies. He's kind of chucking people in furnaces and um, that sort of stuff, sentencing people to death. Doesn't seem like the nicest sort of king. Comes across as a bit arrogant, um, quite brutish, very greedy. He's a very powerful king. He's the king of the kingdom of Babylon, which is probably the greatest kingdom on earth at that point in time. This absolutely phenomenal, phenomenal, gorgeous kingdom, renowned in all the um, in all the world for its wealth. Um, and its, its gloriousness in a very earthly sense. So this king, he, um, he rocks up in Jerusalem. He uh, subjugates Jehoiakim at the time, which was the king of Judah. Okay, so he's like, you know what, mate, you can settle down a bit. You're no longer king. I'm going to come into your country. I'm going to take over um, Judah. I'm going to take over Jerusalem. Goes into the temple in Jerusalem and steals a whole bunch of artifacts there from the temple of their God and just defiles the temple. Okay, so it's a preposterous, preposterous thing to do. The Israelites would have been like this, like unimaginably, um, I guess, disgusted at this guy that he would come into their temple, take this stuff from their temple, these holy artifacts. And not only that, not only does he take these holy, holy artifacts, but he actually basically steals some Israelites from the country. Okay, so he, he takes um, Daniel, which you guys would all know about. Often you hear about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, or Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael, or their Hebrew names. So these four people all head over to Babylon. They're taken prisoners as prisoners or as slaves and subjects to the kingdom of Babylon by King Nebuchadnezzar. So it doesn't seem like a particularly nice guy taking in slaves, that sort of thing. But these four, um, these four guys, I'm just going to call them the four every now and again because saying their whole names is a bit of a, is a, bit, of a bit of a breath and a half. Um, he trains up these four guys, teaches them all the wisdom of the land, trains them up to be basically wise men, knowledgeable, so that they can inform the king and his subjects about things that are going on. So he trains them up to be wise men. And these four um, men, these four Israelite men, are so um, successful in all their endeavors and everything that they do that they just rise ranks gradually and gradually until eventually Daniel becomes so um, well-liked by the king and so well-liked in the kingdom that he's basically the most powerful man at that point in the whole of Babylon, maybe second to the king. All right? 
this Israelite man who was taken from his land, taken as a subject into the kingdom of Babylon, to this foreign kingdom, taken as basically a, a prisoner, rises up in the ranks to become one of the most powerful men in the whole kingdom under this king Nebuchadnezzar. So I wanted just to br- briefly kind of um, give a wrap about what Nebuchadnezzar is like if you look at the first three chapters of Daniel because it's important to have a little bit of a premise there. Um, it's interesting to know what the Bible actually says about King Nebuchadnezzar because Jeremiah the prophet, he prophesies about this king and what he's going to do. And he prophesies about this king, King Nebuchadnezzar, referring to him as my servant. So God himself, through the prophet Jeremiah, is actually referring to Nebuchadnezzar as my servant, implying this is the one who is going to do my will, who is going to follow in my ways, who is going to do my bidding in, in a sense. So the Bible has this interesting perspective of Nebuchadnezzar, not that he's some evil renegade, um, just defiling Israel and taking all their, um, all their riches and taking their wise men. But the Bible actually sees Nebuchadnezzar as this man who's actually doing something for the Lord. With all that said and done, though, it's, it's impossible to ignore that Nebuchadnezzar doesn't have the best heart. He's arrogant. He's brutish. He's greedy. Something dramatic happens, though, in Daniel chapter 4. So we're going to read this um, together. If you'd like to get your phone out, I'm using the NKJV version, New King James Version, if you want to follow along. Otherwise, the verses are going to be on the screen. I want to encourage you, though, if you've got your phone out, you are not allowed to go onto Instagram, Facebook, or Snapchat, or messages, or anything like that, okay? You've got to consecrate this time to God, okay? Give this time to God, and let Him speak through His Scriptures, okay? So we're going to start off in verse 1. Nebuchadnezzar the king. To all peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. I thought it good to declare the signs and wonders that the Most High God has worked for me. How great are His signs, and how mighty His wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and His dominion is from generation to generation. Okay, so if you read this, kind of sounds like this is a pretty good guy. It even sounds as though he's speaking like one of the prophets in the Old Testament or something like that. kind of sounds like a, a bit of a Jeremiah or an Isaiah or something like that. The other thing you pick up is that the very first line, it says, Nebuchadnezzar the king, to all peoples, nations, etc., etc. So this is actually Nebuchadnezzar the king who wrote Daniel chapter 4. This Babylonian king is the author of Daniel chapter 4, and you read this, and you, write, and you think to yourself, wait, is this a different guy to these, this king that was depicted in the first three chapters? Because something's changed in his heart. He's praising God. He's extolling the Lord, and he's saying how incredible, how great his wonders are. Something's changed in his heart. Let's keep going. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at rest in my house and flourishing in my palace. Let's pause there for a second. He literally was flourishing in his palace. This is like a depiction of Babylon, the kingdom of Babylon in that day. And it was one of the seven ancient wonders of the world. And it was one of the seven ancient wonders because of these hanging gardens. The hanging gardens of Babylon were renowned. These beautiful, decadent gardens that King Nebuchadnezzar made for himself and his wife at the time to display his power, to display his wealth. 
So when he says that he was flourishing in his palace, he's being quite literal there. He is flourishing in his palace. He's thriving. Things are going well for this king. I saw a dream which made me afraid, and the thoughts on my bed and the visions of my head troubled me. Therefore, I issued a decree to bring in all the wise men of Babylon before me, that they might make known to me the interpretation of the dream. Then the magicians, the astrologers, the Chaldeans, and the soothsayers come in, and I told them the dream, but they did not make known to me its interpretation. So the king has a dream. Okay, it doesn't seem that unusual. People have dreams, right? I've had some weird ones recently. Joel will tell you all about them, strange dreams. But this king has a dream, and there's something about this dream that's like, oh, hang on, something's going on here. It's not the only dream that Nebuchadnezzar has like this. He's a bit of a dreams guy. He gets these powerful dreams from God, and he knows that this dream has something important going on in it, and he's freaking out a bit. He's really freaking out. So he thinks to himself, okay, I don't know what this dreams mean, but I this dreams this dream means, but I need somebody to come and explain it to me. I need some help. And so who does he go to? Well, he goes to the soothsayers or the um, the magicians, the spiritualists of the time, the wise men, the Chaldeans, which is, is another term there for the Babylonian wise men. He goes to them and he asks them, like, can you please help me? Can you interpret this dream for me? But they've got nothing for him. They've got nothing for him. So this king's this most powerful man in the world at that time, his port of call in a time of trouble and despair, his port of call is to seek out the earthly wisdom, is to go to the wise men, the wise women, the people who've been educated, who've been studying for a while. He goes to them and he says, look, guys, can you help me? That's his first port of call. And how often do we do the same thing? In the time of distress, in the time of trouble, when we need to know answers, when we're freaking out a bit, who are those people that you go to? Do you go to your, your doctor? Do you go to your best friend? Do you go to that guy that you know who's got a PhD in three different areas? If you look at the news, people go to the scientists. All right? People go to the scientists to get advice, or the doctorates, the people with PhD degrees. Now, I'm not saying that these people are bad. I'm not saying that these people aren't wise, and I'm not saying that these people don't have wisdom. They have a lot of it. And I hope that scientists know something because I'm one of them. So hopefully I didn't just study for four years for no reason. But what I want to point out is this heart posture of King Nebuchadnezzar to go immediately in the time of trouble to the people, to the wise men and women that he knows, instead of to God, is a problem. It's not right. It's a posture in our heart that says, I'm going to go to the people that I trust. It's a posture in your heart that says, God's probably not going to help me in this situation. Hang on, let me first ask people that I trust or people that I know. And it didn't work out well for him. They had nothing for him. Absolutely nothing. They could not make known to him the interpretation. I've got an example for you. I've been studying the book of Daniel recently, as I said. Now, when I study the book of Daniel, actually on a Sunday afternoon, I'll go to a coffee shop or somewhere nice, somewhere comfortable. I'll open up my Bible app on my computer. I'll get my notes out so I can type things down. And what I do is I read the scripture and I pray. I read the scripture and I pray. And I go maybe to some cross-references. Maybe I'll look at a different version. Maybe I'll look at what this particular Hebrew word means or something like that. But what I'm trying to do is trying to train myself, okay, I know that so many different people out there have so many amazing, well-phrased, 
well-educated answers. But I actually want to seek first God's wisdom. I want to seek first what the Spirit is saying to me through this text. I want to seek first the Spirit's interpretation so that God can tell me His wisdom first. And then with that, I go and I check what other theologians have said. I'll watch some sermons about Daniel and I'll check my interpretation with other people. But I want to first see what the Spirit of God wants to say to me personally. I want to hear from God. I don't want to just hear God's word through other people, but I want to hear directly from God and I want to hear His wisdom for me. In Isaiah 8, it says, And when they say to you, Seek those who are mediums and wizards, who whisper and mutter. Should not a people seek their God? Maybe sometimes people say to you, if there's a problem, you go, oh, you just go talk to this person, go talk to this um, nutritionist or this guy who's got an amazing degree, he's really intelligent or something like that. Or talk to my friend, he's really wise. Those people that um, we hold up in high esteem, with knowledge and understanding. Shouldn't a people go to their God? The person who has all wisdom, the person who has all understanding and who created everything that is. Shouldn't we go to him first? John 16. However, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will tell you things to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. He will guide you into all truth, and he will take of what is mine, and he will declare it to you. That's the spirit that lives inside of you. That spirit, the spirit of God, will lead you into all understanding and declare what is God's to you personally. In that relationship, that one-on-one relationship, that's the promise of God. Hold him to that promise. Don't waste time going to the spiritualist. Don't waste time going to the people in your life that you trust before you first seek God and his understanding, God and his wisdom, and let the Holy Spirit speak to you personally. I just want to take a minute now just to pray, because I know there's going to be situations in our life now where we're struggling. I know there's situations for me where we need wisdom, we need understanding. And the temptation is just to go to people, to go to the internet or something like that to seek that wisdom. But I want to just... Take a second to allow God to shift the posture of our heart so that we go to Him first for that understanding. I want to ask God to speak directly into those situations in our life now. So just close your eyes just for 30 seconds or a minute as I pray. Father, thank you that inside of us, every single one of us right now is a spirit of truth that will reveal to us everything that you have for us, God, that will reveal to us all understanding. Sorry for the times that we've taken that for granted, God. Sorry for the times when we've been so busy asking people for advice or trying to fix the situation in our own strength that we've actually forgot to listen to your spirit. So right now, Father, we position ourselves, we posture ourselves to hear from you. And we ask that in every situation from here on in, You would give us the heart to seek you first, God, and to listen to what you're saying first and to seek your wisdom first. Amen. It's the Holy Spirit calling. (laughs) 
Hey, let's keep on going through Daniel from verse 8. But at last, Daniel came before me. His name is Belteshazzar. So that was the Babylonian name that the king gave to Daniel, Belteshazzar. According to the name of my God, in him is the spirit of the holy God. And I told him the dream before him, saying, Belteshazzar, chief of the magicians, because I know that the spirit of the holy God is in you and no secret troubles you, explain to me the visions of my dream that I have seen and its interpretation. Flip and love this so much. This is the most powerful man in the world. And read this verse. He says, but at last, Daniel came before me. But at last, this guy who I know is going to come through for me. He's got the spirit of God in him. At last, he's come to me. It's all going to be good now. Daniel's around. He's going to explain this to me. I want to be a man like that. I want to be a man that's so renowned for having the Spirit of God inside of him and seeking out God that people will come to me, whether or not they're Christians, in their time of trouble to seek God. I want to encourage you guys to seek that same heart positioning, to spend time with God so that in the time of trouble, people can come to you for advice, even if they don't know God, that they can come to you to hear from God. So he asked Daniel, he says, Daniel, help me out here, bud. What do you got for me? Come through for me. And Neb then, Nebuchadnezzar, I like to affectionately call him Neb. It's a bit, uh, bit of a mouthful saying Nebuchadnezzar every time. This is his vision. Okay, so this is the dream that he had. These were the visions of my head while on my bed. I was looking and behold, a tree in the midst of the earth and its height was great. The tree grew and became strong. Its height reached to the heavens and it could be seen to the ends of all the earth. Its leaves were lovely, its fruits abundant, and in it was food for all. The beasts of the field found shade under it. The birds of the heavens dwelt in its branches and all flesh was fed from it. I saw in the visions of my head while on my bed and there was a watcher, a holy one, which is an angel, coming down from heaven. He cried aloud and said thus, Chop down the tree and cut off its branches. Strip off its leaves and scatter its fruit. Let the beasts get out from under it and the birds from its branches. Nevertheless, leave the stump and roots in the earth. Bound with a band of iron and bronze in the tender grass of the field, let it be wet with the dew of heaven and let him graze with the beasts on the grass of the earth. Let his heart be changed from that of a man let him be given the heart of a beast and let seven times pass over him. This decision is by the decree of the watches and the sentence by the word of the holy ones in order that the living may know that the most high rules in the kingdom of men gives it to whomever he will and sets over it the lowest of men. This dream I, King Nebuchadnezzar, have seen. Now you, Belteshazzar, declare its interpretation, since all the wise men of my kingdom are not able to make known to me the interpretation. But you are able, for the spirit of the holy God is in you. So Neb has this dream, okay? And this, in this dream, he sees this absolutely incredible tree. In it is an abundance of fruit, of wildlife, there are animals there feeding birds, feeding and enjoying the pleasures of this tree and its fruit. And then all of a sudden, 
some angels, some holy ones come down by the decree of God, and they say, cut down the tree, cut it off at its base, but leave the stump and the roots in the ground and bind it with a band of iron and bronze. So leave it there. And then he, they sentence the tree, which then becomes a man. So you see that they're talking about this tree. And then all of a sudden it starts saying, let his heart be changed or let him graze with the beasts. So this is the tree, which is actually representing a man, King Nebuchadnezzar, as it'll be explained soon. And these holy ones sentence this man to seven times, which is seven years. So that word times can be translated as years. Sentences this man to seven years of roaming the earth like an animal. That's a punishment that these watchers give to this man. So this is the dream that King Nebuchadnezzar has has had. So he tells it to this man, Daniel, hoping for an interpretation. It says, Then Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, was astonished for a time, and his thoughts troubled him. So the king spoke and said, Belteshazzar, do not let the dream or its interpretation trouble you. Belteshazzar answered and said, My lord, may the dream concern those who hate you, and its interpretation concern your enemies. So Daniel's had this dream. He's listen- Sorry, not Daniel. Belt- uh, Nebuchadnezzar's had this dream. Daniel's listened to it. And he's got the interpretation. God has spoken to him. He understands the dream. But he's worried because he knows this dream is not good. If this dream means what God said it means, then things aren't looking very good for the king. And he's afraid. There's some concern here. And he's got an option. He's at a crossroads. He can decide to follow the word of God and to speak to the king the full, whole interpretation and to stand to truth in that situation. Or in the converse, what he can do is compromise. He can water it down a bit. Water down the word, make it a little bit more palatable, a bit nicer for the king so he doesn't freak out as much. After all, this is the most powerful king in the world that he's about to tell you're going to be an animal for seven years. It's a little bit scary. So Daniel's got this, this temptation here. Does he water things down or does he give the truth in its fullness to the king? And of course... Daniel, this incredible man of character and integrity, can't even find a fault against him as far as I'm aware in the Bible. This incredible man of integrity gives this vision and its interpretation to the king. And this is his interpretation. This is what the dream means. The tree that you saw which grew and became strong, whose height reached to the heavens and which could be seen by all the earth, whose leaves were lovely and its fruit abundant, in which was food for all, under which the beasts of the field dwelt, and in whose branches the birds of the heaven had their home. It is you, O king, who have grown and become strong, for your greatness has grown and reached to the heavens, and your dominion to the end of the earth. And inasmuch as the king saw a watcher, a holy one, coming down from heaven and saying, Chop down the tree and destroy it, but leave its stump and roots in the earth, bound with a band of iron and bronze in the tender grass of the field. Let it be wet with the dew of heaven and let him graze with the beasts of the field till seven times pass over him. This is the interpretation, O king. And this is the decree of the Most High, which has come upon my Lord the king. They shall drive you from men and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field and they shall make you eat grass like oxen. So quick recap, Daniel's interpreting this dream. This big tree, it's Nebuchadnezzar. Big shock there. 
He's saying that you've grown strong. All people in the nation are coming to you for their resources, for their food, for their wealth and money. But in your arrogance, you're going to be cut down. They're going to cut you down, and for seven times, you're going to have the mind of a beast, and you're going to graze around. You're going to eat food like a beast would. Moreover, they shall wet you with the dew of heaven, and seven times shall pass over you till you know that the Most High rules in the kingdom of men and gives it to whomever he chooses. And inasmuch as they gave the command to leave the stump and roots of the tree, your kingdom shall be assured to you after you come to know that heaven rules. So Daniel's saying that seven years are going to be assigned to you. But God is being gracious. He's leaving this kingdom and preparing it for you before your return. After seven years, the stump and its roots will still be there for you to take back authority of. So this is Daniel's warning to the king by God, saying, Therefore, O king, let my advice be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by being righteous in your iniquities, by showing mercy to the poor. Perhaps there may be a lengthening of your prosperity. So Daniel, he's saying to the king, King, turn around. Change your deeds. Turn from your sin. Show righteousness. Be merciful to the poor. Change your ways. It's not too late. God is giving you a warning. And when God gives you a warning, you have the opportunity to turn around from what you're doing or you can continue in your ways. God is gracious. So theoretically, at this point, the king could repent and then he would avoid this whole trial altogether. He would avoid having to be a beast for seven years, which sounds like a pretty nice thing to avoid. But you can see that the arrogance of King Nebuchadnezzar and his hard-heartedness In his hard-heartedness, he's not about to turn around from his ways. He's going to need more. And so God, in his graciousness and his mercy, he knows that he's going to need to do something a little bit more intense for this king. He can't just give him a warning, but he's actually going to need to follow through on his consequences here. All this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of the 12 months, he was walking about the royal palace of Babylon. The king spoke, saying, Is not this great Babylon that I have built for a royal dwelling by my mighty power and for the honor of my majesty? While the word was still in the king's mouth, a voice fell from heaven, King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken, the kingdom has departed from you. And they shall drive you from men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field." They shall make you eat grass like oxen and seven times shall pass over you until you know that the Most High rules in the kingdom of men and gives it to whomever he chooses. That very hour, the word was fulfilled concerning Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from men and ate grass like oxen. His body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hair had grown like eagle's feathers and his nails like bird's claws. Oh, the fall of this man, the most powerful king, in all the world, relegated to this beast-like nature. Bit of an artistic interpretation there. Apparently this is a famous work, but I've forgotten. Does anyone remember who it's by? Blake. My mum would be disappointed in me. She's an art teacher. He's relegated to this beast-like nature, crawling around on all fours. The humiliation of it. Can you imagine being the most powerful king? Imagine what his subjects thought. For seven years, this king 
of the nation is just kind of crawling around. Rain falls on him. He does nothing. He can't speak. He acts like an animal. Imagine what they thought. Yet still, the kingdom of Babylon in all its glory remained under, once he took it back, the authority of this king. The subjects didn't give it to someone else. They didn't assign a new king, but they left it for him. Isn't that amazing? Isn't it amazing that the word of God is so true that God can actually hold this this kingdom, give him a rain check for seven years and allow him to take it back if he decides to change his heart. God gives and takes away. And this chapter of Daniel is an incredible example of the power of God, if he wills it, to take away whatever he will and to give back whatever he will. It's easy to interpret this and think, oh, God is a, is a vengeful, hard God. Like if, we, if we're not a good leader, he's going to take away our um, place of leadership from us, our ministry or whatever it is from us. That's not what you should interpret from this chapter. What you should interpret from this chapter is that God is going to do whatever it takes to remove anything that hinders the relationship between him and us. If there is something in your way between your relationship with God, with you and God, there's something in the way, God will do whatever it takes, whatever means necessary to reconnect you with him, to rekindle love, to rekindle that relationship. For Nebuchadnezzar, God knew that he had to do a a powerful thing and take away his kingdom for seven years in order to humble him. And nothing else would have done the trick. And after seven years, this is what happens. At the end of the time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven and my understanding returned to me. And I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever. Seven years later, these are the words of the king. His heart has changed. He's become a man again. All of a sudden, just like that, he goes from a beast to a man. And his first thing to do is to praise God. Incredible that God knew it would take exactly seven years. At that seven-year mark, the heart of Nebuchadnezzar, arguably one of the hardest hearts depicted in the Bible, changes to praise God. At the end of Daniel chapter 4, King Nebuchadnezzar worships God. This Babylonian king lifts up his praises to God. And it's one of my favorite sections of the Bible because you can see the redemptive power of God and you can see the power of God to save. Salvation belongs to God and he will do whatever it takes to remove anything that hinders love. And he will do as much as he can to bring as many into salvation as possible. It's God's will that all would be saved. It was God's will that Nebuchadnezzar, King Nebuchadnezzar, even him, in all his arrogance and greediness, that he would be saved. And we hear this incredible story of his salvation. This incredible story of King Nebuchadnezzar turning his heart to worship God. What I'd love to do at the end of this service is to read the words of King Nebuchadnezzar. Ask the, the band to come up. You can start playing. I'm going to read the words of King Nebuchadnezzar, these words of worship, these words of just lifting up the name of God. And I want to give everyone in this room the room um, and 
the ability just to do whatever you need to do right now, whether it be stand, kneel, sit, you can come to the front if you'd like, to take hold of these words, apply them to whatever situation you have in your life where you know you're going through difficulties, and declare these words over those situations, these words that lift up the name of God higher than anything else. The words out of this, the mouth of this Babylonian king. Take in these words and just spend the next couple of minutes taking them in and just worshiping God, lifting up his name however you would like as the band plays their last song.